Sachem Perkhes Mishnah Aleph, Chapter 8, a new chapter and a new topic. The topic here we're going to focus on is the requirements for pre registry on a Korban Pesach prior to its Shrita, which is an obligation that one should be from the Manuyev, as we discussed before, registered on a particular animal um, in order to fulfill his obligation of participating in the eating of the Korban Pesach and offering it for that matter. So the general rule is that one has to formally be registered, if you will, on or identified with a particular animal. The exact procedure for that is not totally clear to me, to be frank. Rosh in Zvachim Nunvav seems to suggest um, financial participation. You know, you put forth some money towards it. Um, clearly, if there would be a verbal declaration between the two parties, if you will, in other words, the guy who's checked in the Korban Pesach, we'll call him the Balhabayas, and his guests were coming for the Seder, who verbally confirmed, yes, please make sure that we are included in your Korban Pesach, that would be sufficient as well. So it's verb- the simple way would be a verbal um, confirmation that one is to be registered on a particular animal. That's called being manui. Now, when it comes to most cases, as I said, you need to explicitly at least say, at a minimum, that you're identifying with and being registered on this particular animal. There are, however, a set of exceptions. The people who don't need to verbalize this uh, registry, and those are people who are members of the household of the one who is offering this Korban Pesach. So the assumption is, and it's a fair assumption that can be relied upon, that a person's children and his wife, um, as well as his avadim, his slaves and servants, in the case of, um, if you're talking about an evidivri. So those people are part of his household, and it, it goes without saying, literally, that they are included in the registry, and they're considered manuyav when he shechs on their behalf, because the assumption is there's indeed a meeting of the mind, and they are, um, even though they didn't formally appoint him as their shaliach, or identify specifically that they should be on this Korban Pesach, it's, it's understood. And that being the case, that's a sufficient umdana, a sufficient um, uh, assumption, that one does not need to verbalize being registered if he's part of the household. Now, those people who are including that exception who don't need to verbalize their registry um, really can be categorized in two different classes. There are people who um, can be actually included balkarcham against their will, and those who at least need to have das and have in mind they want to be included. To be balkarcham, to be, um, for let's say, the father to of the household to include someone else on the Quran Pesach essentially against the will, that would only apply to a child who's not bar bat mitzvah, since their da'as doesn't matter. They haven't got an opinion to themselves. Therefore, to be included just is dependent upon the da'as, the intentions of the, well, the, the father of the household, the balabais, and so therefore he can do it even against their will. And he can say, this is your Quran Pesach, like it or not, which would restrict them from participating in other Quran Pesachs and enable them to eat on his Quran Pesach. Um, the other exception in that category would be the Evid Kanani, the, we'll call him the non-Jewish, for lack of a better term, the non-Jewish slave. Evid Kanani, I'll remind you very briefly, is started out being a Gentile, totally not Jewish, um, non-Jewish, and then um, is acquired like a piece of property. The discussion about that and the morality behind it, etc., not for right now, but he's acquired as a, as a own piece of property, and um, the proper procedure then is for him to agree, he consents to becoming an Evid Kanani, um, which then 
requires, if it's a man, him getting bris milah, followed by um, a tevila, an immersion in a mikvah, to become formally inducted into the family as an evakonani. And as such, um, he actually is obligated in mitzvahs like a woman. Um, now, when it comes to Korban Pesach, the conventional assumed halach is that women are indeed obligated mid and participate in the Korban Pesach, and that would mean that the Evid Kanani is obligated in the Korban Pesach as well. Um, as an aside, there's actually Machlokas Tanaim. Rabbi Shimon holds that women are not obligated in Korban Pesach. They are welcome to participate in the Korban Pesach and eat from it as a rishus, um on a voluntary basis with no strict obligation, kind of the same way women don't have to eat in a sukkah or hear shofar um, or shake a lulav, etc., um, but they certainly can. So, so to Korban Pesach, that's Rabbi Shimon Shita, but Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Yossi, and it seems to be the ton of our Mishnah, ostensibly, um, hold that women are obligated in Korban Pesach Midoraisa, and therefore the Avid Kanani, the non-Jewish slave, as well as obligated in the Korban Pesach. But since he doesn't have like uh, much legal status on his own, he's really considered to be subordinate to the his owner. So it's the owner's das that matters, and what he has in mind is what goes with respect to the Evakanani, and therefore the owner can have in mind that his Evakanani should eat from his Korban Pesach, and that would be effective regardless of what the Evakanani has in mind. More on that later on in the, in the Mishnah. Other members of the family, meaning grown children past age of bar, bar Mitzvah, and one's wife, they, as we said, can be included in the registry even without verbalizing that they want to be included, but it does require their das. They have to have in mind they want to be included, and the Balhabayas, the husband, the father, cannot um, insist against the will that they are registered in his particular korban. They are free to go elsewhere, in theory, if they if they would want to. Um, now, when it comes to children, the assumption would be that he's having them at home, they're living at home, and they're free checks for them, that's fine. Wife, that would be the same case. However, and when it comes to a wife, it gets a little more complicated, and that's the first case of our Mishnah here. We'll have a number of cases in our Mishnah of, after now that I've set forth the basic um, rules, which you have to be verbally included or maybe you have to give money, and then the exceptions, the members of the household who can um, don't need to verbalize it, they're included based on the fair assumption that they want to be part. Um, but now we're going to have a couple, a series of what-ifs. What if um, you have some extenuating circumstances? So the first case um, will be a newly married woman. The mission is going to start out by saying, Ha'isha, as far as regular wives go, the generic case, Bizman Bala, assuming she's with her husband, staying at home, having Seder with him, Shachat Alea Bala, her husband may Shech the Korban Pesach on her behalf, um, and that will be fine, and she would be atten- attached to her husband. If Vishachat Avia, if the case is that her father also also Shech the Korban Pesach, thinking that his daughter is going to come to him for Seder. So then the the, the resolution is Tochel Mishel Bala. She can and must participate in her husband's Korban Pesach because the barring any verbal verbalizing uh, thought to the contrary, um, it can be safely assumed that she had intention to participate in her husband's Korban Pesach, be part of her husband's Pesach Seder, and not her father's. And therefore her father's um, Wishes are are not not relevant. Not relevant. Can, he can't do a balkarcha because she's a grown woman, and there's no reason to think that she would be going to him when she's going to her husband uh, under normal circumstances. However, the next case in the Mishnah is where 
she's a newlywed. Now, the custom at the time of the Mishnah was that newlywed women, in truth, I should probably say newlywed girls because they were indeed rather young, typically in the time of the Mishnah. So the first regal, the first festival after they got married, the custom was for the Kala, the newlywed, to go back to her parents' house and spend Yom Tov with them. Either yes or no with their husband, that's not that's a side point. Um, probably typically yes with the husband. But our mission now wants to know what happens if she's going home to her old home, to her father's house for Pesach Seder, which is the the done thing, that's the minute. But her husband is not going, and he's also making a Pesach Seder at his house, meaning her house also, um, her new home. And therefore we have two Korbanos, two Korban Pesachs, one being shechted by her father, one by her husband, and both father and husband have in mind that she should be included on the Korban Pesach. Now, the previous line of the Mishnah said she goes with her husband. But in a case where she is, we're talking about the first Pesach since they got married, the first Yom Tov since they got married, so the custom is already she's going to be going into her father's house, which already is tipping the scales in the father's benefit. Now, um, if that's all we've got to go on, so now it tips it enough that we are in a situation of suffolk, of doubt. We're not sure what was going on in her head. Did she have in mind to go with her father or with her husband? Um, and if she doesn't explicitly say so, she'll be stuck. The Mishnah is about to say that she can go to whichever one she wants, but I want to clarify before we read the words of the Mishnah, we're talking about a scenario where she verbally states which Korban Pesach she wants you register, registered on, prior to the shechita. In that case, since she's verbalized things, um, it's clear. Um, but without verbalization, we'll be situ- in a situation of doubt. And that's what the Mishnah now says in so many words inside. It says, If she goes to her father's home on the first Yom Tov after she gets married. But the problem is, her father... Shachter Koran Pesach, having her in mind. And her husband also, Shachter Koran Pesach, having her in mind. So now we're not sure what she had in mind. The Mishnah says, She can eat and participate in, in either Koran Pesach that she wants. Meaning, neither husband nor father can, against her will, Balkorcha, determine to which Koran Pesach she belongs. But she belongs to Koran Pesach, which she has, she intends to. So she needs to be explicit which one she intends. If she didn't so therefore, she wrote says she can go wherever she wants, but that assumes she chose ahead of time. If she didn't choose ahead of time, so then it's indeterminate which Korban Pesach she belongs to. There's arrows pointing two directions. It's her husband, which is the usual case, but it's the first Yom Tov, which is also the usual case. And that being the case, she'll be stuck. She won't be able to eat from either Korban Pesach. It's actually Machlok Sershon on what happens next. According to most, She'll just have to, if she has time, she'll have to bring a new Korban Pesach. She wasn't guilty. There are those, however, who learn that um, she definitely is guilty or of bringing Korban Pesach. It's just not clear which Korban it was. And therefore, she won't even be allowed to bring the Korban Pesach, but she will be, and she'll be guilty. But of course, she can't eat from either because it's indeterminate which one she belongs, she's registered on, so which, which one she belongs to, so to speak. Um, now, that's that. Now, the case of the Mishnah, as the bartender speaks out, is we have a, have a, a woman who is a typical woman who's not a redufa. A redufa means a woman who's constantly running back home to mommy and daddy um, even after she got married. If she's that kind of woman who's constantly running back home, so now, um, just in general, so now if both those criteria are met, meaning A, she's a redufa and she was always going back home, and B, she is 
going back for the first yamtuf, which is the minig anyways, if you have both those elements, there won't be a suffolk. In that case, it's clear to everybody who knows anything about anything that she's going home to her home for Pesach, like she does all the time for other non-Pesach events, and therefore, for sure, she had a mind um, to be at home, and she'll be registered on her father's Korban Pesach, even though she didn't articulate it. So if you have both criteria, Radufa, woman, and first regal, then if it's inexplicit, she's for sure with the father, but anything, if you have either one or the other, meaning she's either a Radufa, but it's not the first Yamtuf, or it's the first Yamtuf, but she's not a Radufa, then you have a suffolk, and if you have neither criteria, not a Radufa, and not the first Yamtuf, then we have the first case of the Mishnah, which she goes with her husband, regardless of what her father had in mind. Okay, that's the first case of the Mishnah. Now, we have a, a new case of the Mishnah. A new case of the Mishnah is, is what about children? Now, we said children always go after their, their father, if we're talking about minors, that's fine. But these children we're talking about in our Mishnah are Yasomim. Now, a Yasom, a child is an orphan, and the way it works is that an orphan is going to have a legally appointed guardian called an Apitropos, who is the designated, you know, parental guardian of the child. That legal designation can come from either the father himself before he dies, let's say, or appointed by the bezin. The courts could appoint an apitropus, the guardian, on behalf of the children. In such a case, the apitropus stands into the shoes of the father, and now the apitropus can identify and make the decision on behalf of the child, which Pesach Seder is going to, which Korban Pesach, and so on. The das of the child is irrelevant because he's a minor. The funny case, of, that's all clear. So the funny case of our Mishnah, however, is what happens if the court or the father appointed two apitropes, and there are two legal guardians, and they have two different things in mind. Both of the guardians think that the child is coming to them for Pesach later, and each one, Shech to Korban Pesach, having the child in mind. So then what? So, Yosem Shashachatu Alav Apitropsin. If you have a case where an orphan, um, on whose half there was two different Korban Pesach Shechted, one by each apitropus, so then the din is Yochob Makam Shorotzeh, the child can go to either of the two legal guardians. That's not a problem. Now, this is standing in strong contrast to the previous case. In the previous case, and perhaps I did a bad job of not actually emphasizing this before we went on to this new case about the orphan, even though the Mishnah says explicitly by the woman, she can go eat at either her father's or her husband's house, um, whichever one she wants, we do not mean in that case that she can um, after the fact, choose one or the other. That is unacceptable. She has to determine which one she belongs to prior to the shechita. And the reason why is because when it comes to a married woman, to after the fact say retroactively which Korban Pesach she was manui uh, Allah, Allah, which which of the two animals she had been registered on, retroactively, that would require brera, retroactive allocation. We discussed brera not so long ago in Ervin. Whatever, Brera, retroactive allocation. So the 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 rule is that to determine something retroactively using Brera, um, if that works at all as a machloka sinaim, lahalacha, it only works for a rabbinic phenomenon. So in the case of Erevin, we said you person could put his Erev out and say if the Gentiles come from the east, I want my western Arab to be the one that works for me. If they come from the west, I want my eastern Arab to work for me, and they can run in either direction. So he'll decide based on the facts as they turn out on Shabbos to determine which of the two Arab were effective retroactively. That's Brera. That works because Arab is a rabbinic phenomenon. We had Brera at length in Masechus Demai. So there you have, like, you know, what I, the liquid I leave at the bottom of the glass, that will be the whatever the various tides I'm leaving required to leave from Demai. That does work again. 
um, see over there the demai for more details, but it works again because the demai phenomenon is rabbinic phenomenon. But here, the Korban Pesach phenomenon is a Doraisa obligation. That's what we're going in this Mishnah. And therefore, you cannot rely on Brera for, for a Doraisa. And so um, the woman cannot choose after the fact where she's going. She has to decide beforehand. In contrast, the current case of the Yasom, of the orphan. So he can decide after the fact which Pesach Seder he's going to and which Korban Pesach he'll be um, participating in. The reason why is because it doesn't actually determine, uh, it's not actually determined by what he has in mind at all. We don't care what he has in mind. He's a minor and therefore his das is irrelevant um, from a legal perspective. Um, all that matters is that both of the two guardians had him in mind. And when they had him in mind, each one thought um, tacitly, without explicitly, it, he, explicitly stating it, that they're going to come to me for... I'm, re- I'm shechting this Korban Pesach and having the orphan in mind, and this will be his Korban Pesach, assuming, like, Tanai, con- conditioned on the fact that he comes and eats by me. So that means that if the child doesn't come and eat, then the condition isn't met, and it's a conventional um, condition, Tanai, con- conventional, conditional legal condition, which happens without using Brera, um, and not a Brera phenomenon. So the, in other words, hope that's clear. The person, the each of the apitropsin say, this will be for the orphan on condition that he eats by me. Um, so that's not retroactively determining, just it won't be for him unless he indeed, child indeed, comes and eats by that apitropos. So that being the case, the child can go to either one, and that means only one condition will be fulfilled, and therefore the Korn Pesach will be shafted properly um, based on that built-in condition that the Apitropos out of mind, and everything is going to be fine. So there we, they can choose after the fact, in contrast to the woman, the wife who can't. Okay. Uh, the next case of the Mishnah, two cases of the Mishnah, are going to deal with the Evid Kanani. As I said in the introduction, we're talking here about a, a non-Jewish slave. I'm calling him non-Jewish, but he's like quasi-Jewish, if you know what I mean. He's not fully Jewish, for sure. Um, he's obligated like a woman, we said, but don't forget that if he's Mishtachrer, if he's released and emancipated, he essentially becomes a full-blown Jew. Okay, so in any case, the Eved shall shnei shutafen. What happens if you have an Eved, a non-Jewish slave, Eved Kanani, who's owned by two partners? Each one owns half of him. And these are antagonistic partners. They're not they're not friendly to one another. And therefore, each one is mocked in the other that the Eved Kanani won't go to the other one's house for Pesach later. Now, since we're talking about Eved Kanani, as I said in the introduction, the owner... Um, can Balkarcho, against the Eved's will, assign him to a particular Korban Pesach? But here, we have two people who are authorized, each on half of this human being, um, to make decisions against his will. So therefore, you have in conflict half of the, so to speak, half of this Eved will be assigned to Korban A, and half will be assigned to Korban B, and therefore, each one's mocked on the other, each of the partners are mocked on the other, and therefore, this poor Eved can go to neither to neither Pesach center, can't eat from either Korban Pesach. That's what it says here. Eved shall shnei shutafin, if you have an Evid owned by two separate partners, again, who are who are mocked one and the other, they're not in agreement. Lo yochel mishel shneyan, he's stuck and can't eat from either of their two korbanos, for the reasons I just explained. The last case, the Mishnah, fascinating case. What happens if, for argument's sake, one of these two partners emancipate their slave? So now you have a, you have a, a person who's half free man and half owned as a slave. So he is really stuck in a bad place, and um, because half of him can determine his fate, and half of him is subject to the fate of the determined by his owner. Now, the din of the mission is going to be. I'll read it inside. Misha chetzio eved vechetzio ben choron. If he's half and half like that, lo yochel mishel rabo, he may not participate in his 
owners, meaning who owns half of him, his Korban Pesach and his Pesach Seder. The implication, of course, sounds to be that he could eat from himself, his own um, Korban Pesach. Now you ask a question, wait a second, if the master can determine half of his faith, why isn't he like locked out, half of him being locked up from his Korban Pesach, like the previous case? In other words, instead of the first case was two people own this servant, Mr. A and Mr. B. Now it's two people own this servant, it's Mr. A and himself in place of Mr. B. So it should be the same conflict and he should be stuck, but no, he's not stuck. And the reason why is because something extraneous. Um, back in Masechus Gitten, or I guess in the future Masechus Gitten, we will learn, Be'ez Hashem, that a person who's half a half-freed slave is in a terrible predicament in terms of um, his marriage prospects and siring children. Why? Because there's no one he can marry. He can't marry a, a regular Jewish girl because an Eved, which he's half Eved, an Eved can't marry a regular Jewish girl. But he can't marry a fellow slave girl because half of him is a free man, and a free Jewish man can't marry a slave girl, and a Shifcha Kananis. So there's no one he can marry, and therefore he can't have children. And that is unacceptable. Um, there's a basic principle, which is that the, the world is created to be settled with children, so to speak, and we don't. Ex- the rabbis didn't accept a scenario where a person couldn't get married at all. Um, so that being the case, they essentially penalize. They they they, they force they they force the half owner to relinquish and emancipate their their servant. Um, how do they do that? They basically tell him he he has to do it. Uh, it's something along the lines, if you will, of when the bezin forces someone to give a get under certain circumstances. So until don't forget until the husband gives the get, the wife is married like it or not, no matter what the Bezin says, he has to physically give the get. And so too, even though the Bezin says that the owner has to release an emancipated slave, the slave is not emancipated. However, the Bezin um, can have its way with the owner or the husband um, to f- essentially force him to give the the get or the get shechur or the emancipation document. Um, so famous Rambam, when it comes to the, the husband who's been a bad who has to give a get to his wife? Essentially, they kind of hang him on the hang him on a hook and say, "We're not letting you down until you give it." And when he says, "Rotes on you," okay, I'm agreeing to give it. That's acceptable. We don't consider that like a forced get, which is um, invalid, because the rabbim says, "Listen, deep down, he wanted to do it." Something kind of analogous when it comes to the the um, the slave owner. So, since the rabbis say we want him to go free, and so he can have a family and so on, so the rabbis essentially are are um, penalizing, if you will the slave owner and saying, listen, we're forcing you to give it by saying you can get no benefit from this guy until you let him go. He can't come to you for Pesach Seder. Um, that sort of forces him, forces his hand. And therefore, um, as far as this Mishnah goes, it's as if he's already freed him. So it's like, uh, it's a penalty. So it's almost like Hefker, Bez and Hefker. They've, they've disempowered the owner. Um, it's as if he were just given away. And then because of the marriage issue and therefore the this half-owned slave can eat his own Pesach later with his own Korban Pesach, and that will be legitimate, and that's what exactly what the din over here says.